Hello and welcome to uh, episode 1.5 of Law Implications. Um, episode 1.5 because due to certain circumstances in Pooch's uh, living situation, um, he hasn't been able to uh, assist me with recording anything for the past, uh, well, long while. It's been almost a month since uh, the first episode went up. So instead, I have Nick Transu, our uh, gracious editor here to assist me with uh, a bit of um, further exploration into the Forgotten Realms um, setting and in this particular case we are going to look at a few of the races and some of the deities that are found within the world and look at their, well mostly their cultural inspirations, their links to the real world and what that might mean for future evolution or what the, uh, of these particular races or deities, except in a few cases some of them are already dead. Um, so, uh, that is the basic premise of uh, the, uh, this particular episode and if nothing else you will hopefully learn some more about the uh, entities of which we're about to talk about themselves. So uh, I'll hand uh, the races over to Nick Transu. All right, yeah. Uh, this is Nick. I'm the editor. Uh, Mycroft asked me to dig into the races, uh, so I was told to do about three of them, I think, if that was correct. Um, I chose the halfling race, the dwarven race, and the drow race, as I thought they were very uh, iconic in a lot of other games, and I think people would attach themselves to it. So, um, let me first start off with the halfling race. Uh, I was very shocked to find that a halfling was originally called a hobbit until uh, some copyright laws, uh, obviously, with Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings universe. So, I, di I didn't actually know that. Um, the inspiration for the character, I mean, if they were once called a hobbit, I'm assuming that they were very much based upon what a hobbit was and if you actually look through uh, Tolkien's works there's not a whole lot to go off of for a hobbit um, to me what a hobbit is is the embodiment of like a dream life for a lot of people that simple farm life where you can just hang out, drink go work on the farm, fish whatever it is but they're always very happy um, and just easygoing people um, I kind of like to imagine them as what life was pre-industrialization of the world but I could be very wrong with that with I don't know the effects of feudalism on everybody um, now from what I've seen of halflings in games uh, they're used as thieves or the sneaky bits is, is, am I right on that Mycroft? they're almost always sneaky well yes they are the small Race, so they are typically more cap uh, more able in the fields that require well moving about on, on scene, and uh, they're also typically quite uh, quite uh, good at the arts of uh, the trickster. Right. Um, so, I, I trying to find a reason for an easygoing character to be seen as like a thief as they've been kind of popularized now the only thing to me that I could think of was if you just take a look at a lot of stories from uh, 
you know, even like medieval culture, there's always like a Robin Hood-esque type of character where you have uh, just people who are stealing not for themselves, but for the betterment of the world. Mm-hmm. And then you mix the Hobbit with dwarves, actually, and they add that little bit of breed. That That's my idea of the Hobbit. I don't think there's a lot more... Or the halfling, sorry. <laughs> it's just so close to me that they, it's just very similar. And I'm much more a Tolkien fan, so Hobbit is my first go-to. But the halfling race, I believe, is a very strong um, mix of just that simple, easygoing life and uh, add a little bit of the greed of the dwarves. So, what do you feel about that one, Mycroft? Well, it, it, it sounds like a, a certainly a plausible uh, theory in particular because of uh, the whole easygoing life. One might be uh, more so tempted to a life without work hence the life of a criminal, which would then give the more roguish aspect some uh, some meaning. To, uh, certainly be more approachable for uh, such an individual. Of course, that's not to say that halflings and hobbits are without a moral compass. Uh, no, very much not so. <laughs> they, 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 they generally focus a lot on, on the social uh, aspects. They, they are uh, very social creatures and uh, either live in large, uh, large clans yes. or uh, as uh, at least very... very very close-knit gatherings of several families that's very true they uh are very clan-esque it's kind of uh interesting to look at it that way as you generally see only like one population of them Mm. in like an area and then you have to go far away to find another one moving on to the dwarves because everybody loves dwarves right it's the Uh. the typical one that everybody loves well, it's either you love dwarves or you love elves. Uh, you you can't possibly love uh, love both because then it, it, there's this internal war going on. <laughs> it's like the left and right brain complex. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> so, dwarves, yeah, your your typical stout fellows. Um, and the, one of the most interesting things that I I looked into was that they always have a lust for goddesses. I did not know that. That that surprised me so. I mean, it's a good good choice to go after. Um, in everything I've ever read of them, they're always named the Earthen Smiths. Now, digging into the actual inspiration, you have to go the whole way back to Norse and Teutonic mythology, um, which I was very fascinated because I love Norse mythology. And we'll get into the drow as well, but there's very little difference between dwarves and elves in um, Norse mythology. So um, you have to, you actually have to blame Christianization of Germanic colonies for the dwarves being so short. Um, So yeah, uh, with the Christianization coming across the Holy Roman empire, um, for some reason they decided to make dwarves short and they were living, according to Norse mythology, in the same area as the Dark Elves. And it's called, oh, Svartalfheim. Yes, okay. Svartalfheim. See, you're from that area, so it's probably easier for you to do that to me. 
<laughs> well, well it, it, it really depends. Modern Danish is in no way close <laughs> to the Old Norse. No. Um, no, Icelandic would probably be the language at current that's closest to the Old Norse. And yet, Old Danish was actually closer. But Modern Danish is in no way close to Old Danish. So it's, it's yeah. Dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Back to our, our uh, lovable mountain dwellers. Um, so, in uh, in Norse mythology, there was a, a particular tale that uh, there's very important four dwarves. I forget the their actual Norse names at the moment, but it was basically north, east, south, and west. And they were the uh, they held the world up because if you if you look into that, there's different planes of existence. So they were responsible for holding the uh, the world up. Um, so from what I've seen of the after Christianization of the dwarves, um, basically they just kept the, the craftsmen of Norse mythology and embodied them into these smaller creatures. Um, for some reason, they are, they are always seen as the hardy folk. I'm, I, I could not find a reason why, and I, I could not find a reason for them being incredibly loyal. Um, I, I don't know if that was just something that was built in, as you, I guess you would have to be loyal to your king, and they just got the strong 20 roll and the loyalty. <laughs> Uh, no, I think it's something. Um, I think it's something taken from uh, some of the various um, uh, myths and sagas from uh, from the the poetic era, uh, among other things. Um, consider, uh, considering that um, the uh, the dwarves in those stories uh, are all, uh, have almost always been betrayed by some other person or uh so, so they 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 sort of, they sort of made the uh the dwarf themselves loyal in yeah. order to kind of it kind of show that they uh, they might be easy to betray if you yourself are not a dwarf yeah that that's a, a very good point actually they do kind of get beaten around by every other sort of um, we can t- we can take uh, uh the story of uh Sigurd, uh, uh which uh is also part of um, uh, those who are familiar with more classical works uh, such as Wagner's uh, 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 The Ring of Nibelung. Um, uh, he's also been, uh, been called Siegfried in uh, in uh, German and English. Um, his adopted father was a dwarf and his uncle eventually became the uh, the antagonist of uh, of this whole uh, whole thing becoming the dragon fafner and of course he had to slay the dragon fafner but he also right. uh, he also slew his own father at first because <laughs> reasons all the reasons it's the yes. the best way to explain any story it's just like it happened uh the christianization was that something that you actually t- like learned about um because oh, yes. somewhere yes. along the way the the dwarves were separated from the snow elves or the dark, the black elves, apology, and um, became short. Is that something that was either they, I just saw it was lost in translation, 
really. So um, it's in part the f- the uh, the fact that um, in general in the Holy Roman Empire, a dwarf was usually something that was used for entertainment purposes. They were you know the funny little folk. Yep, they, they were, were uh, they, kind of treated the same way as uh, like an imp. Or I found a great story. It was basically comparing all dwarves to uh, oh the what's the one that takes the can't even remember the name. The Golden Spindle. What's that story? Uh, Rumpelstiltskin. Yes, Rumpelstiltskin. Thank you. Like, that's what dwarves were seen as. Mm, yeah, I, I mean, uh, there's... I can't remember the name of him, but there was, like, this famous dwarf member of the... Uh, of. I think it was Octavius Caesar's um, court... Um, who uh, who was pretty much the the guy who uh, who whose job well, it was to uh, tell Caesar you're still just a human being you're not a god even though his uncle or whatever uh, whatever the Caesar before him uh, was essentially elevated to the position of god uh, within the empire by then um, and, and they were viewed by these um, not quite yet Catholic Christians that at that. Dwarves were uh, were these lesser, uh, less than human humans. They they they, they played a role uh, in society to make the ma uh, the ordinary human feel better about himself. Uh, whereas the dwarves in uh, Norse mythology were, while while there were a group of them that were great smiths, which is something that we see now in in fantasy all over it wasn't every single dwarf that was a good smith but no. they were they, they they were dedicated to a single craft each and every one of them so they were exe- they were exceptionally good at that one thing that they each and all focused on which and, you can actually uh, see I, I i in bruner uh if you've read salvatore yes um, yes because it, that kind of comes forth in the making of is it wolfgar's hammer Yes, he yeah. just it, and that was his focus at that point, and then after that focus, he was kind of lost. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that, that's also something that Salvatore's uh, Icewind Dale trilogy folk, uh, talks a lot about. But that's about how the dwarves in Forgotten Realms, uh, particularly the ones that are, that live as smiths, they uh, they 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 put all of their effort into that one work of a lifetime and then nothing else they make afterwards or have made before then can compare to that one particular piece of uh, where, uh, of whatever they might have made. It could be a piece of jewellery, it could be a, ba- a warhammer like Bruno here had crafted because he, his clan is clan battlehammer. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course it was a warhammer. Of course, it uh, just makes total sense. Yes. <laughs> um. <laughs> you can't have a clan battlehammer making like a pickaxe or something. No, no. Although they were a mining clan, not a smith clan. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that. Um, and I, I even think uh, th- th- there's some mention of them having been like brewers at one point. But that that's besides the point. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, you, you see, you see something reflected in that about the Norse view of the dwarves, which were the, these exceptionally skilled individuals, but they only knew how to do that one thing had absolutely no ability within anything else well that leads me to the black elves or the drow as they're more commonly called um fun fact the name of the drow came from trow 
which is a Scottish word that means short, ugly, and mischievous, which pretty much <laughs> directly reflects back to dwarf. Um, so you're going to see a lot of similarities here between the black elves and dwarves. As in Norse uh, mythology, they're from the same place, which is called... Svadalfheim. Thank you. I'm just going to let you say that every time. And <laughs> if you if you don't know what Black Elves or Dark Elves look like, just uh, Marvel came out with like, the Thor, the Dark World, and that is pretty much what they're supposedly looking like. Um, to me, you there's not a whole lot different between like the drow and the actual elves if you take away the religion and like the their societal structure to me that has a huge impact on the drow way of life where they live the the family structure and their goddess which i you might get into i don't know if that was something you had planned to talk about but to me that's that's a huge part on their way of life well yeah i mean uh, generally speaking the only difference between the drow and the common moon sun and wood elves i believe there's also wild elves uh yeah um is the fact that their goddess broke from or was exiled from the pantheon and was uh, and eventually found her way to the abyss and settled there uh, thus ultimately forcing her worshippers to become evil themselves it's that's uh, yeah it's you take an elf and you just twist it to following a, a goddess that broke from everything else and you make an anti-elf yes and that's pretty much what the drow is hmm. and the entire like a in uh, in the Forgotten Realms, the drow are the evil elves, and most of their malice is pointed towards other elves. It's not Very that it's, it, so. it, it, it's not that they don't, uh, if, you know, kidnap dwarves or uh, humans or whatever. But that's it, it's never really something that they specifically target. It's also it's just something that happens if there's a party of adventurers uh, traveling through the. Um, on the dark, and they, you know, come down upon them as creepy spider elves. Um, <laughs> if you don't know to avoid the underdark, you're something wrong with you. Yeah, yeah. That's... Or you are exceptionally confident in your abilities. I don't think I would ever get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard the story, so I'm staying away. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh, admittedly, I, I, I would probably. Sh- yeah, I, I would probably stay away if I had ever heard of a drider uh, before uh, before uh, hearing about the uh, underdog itself, because the whole idea of a spider centaur or spider elf centaur thing, I no no no, <laughs> just straight up no. You're like I'm out. I, yes. I'm leaving this area. <laughs> but yeah, it, it it's a, a very common theme that people uh, try to make Drow the most evil force. Um, yes, they are evil, but it's usually directed at other elves. Like There is an intense hatred between mm. those those Drow and the other elves. Um, 
everything else is kind of on the wayside. Uh, it just happens. I don't know exactly where you can separate the drow from their religion. So I don't know. I, I'd have to assume that the religion for the drow was written kind of before the actual race. And then they filled in that role. That is a very good question. I mean, I know for a fact that, um, first of all, uh, Lolf, the primary deity of the Drow, has a son whose name is Veyron, I believe, uh, or however else you wish to pronounce that. Um, and because that the whole uh, whole of the Drow society is, of course, ma- uh, matriarchal, um, Veyron, even though he's a god, he is male, therefore he's sort of pushed to the side. He's actually sort of like a, a, the bastard son, uh, more so than the uh, than the uh, heir to uh, Lov's uh, whole empire things. So his his worshippers are few. Well, I no, they're, they're actually quite <laughs> uh, quite many, but but most of them are men because and the men don't matter in that society, so. Yes, so so they they get a sense of power by, uh, through the worship of uh, Veron. Not to mention that uh, a lot of his um, uh, a lot a lot of his uh, portfolios as uh, the domains of gods in the Forgotten Realms are referred to as are like uh, they are very very much related to subterfuge of various kinds. So it, it, it they they know they they learn how to blend in with the common law worshippers. But other than that, there's also a uh, another a daughter of Lolf, but a good-natured daughter, which is kind of the goddess that all good drow pray to. Can't remember her name right now. I'm afraid. Uh, I, for some reason, I want to say Sayanin Moonbow, but I'm pretty sure that's just another another elf goddess. But uh, but anyway, um, there there are good drow because. As we all know, at least those of us who are role players, there's no, uh, there's no race that is so inherently evil that there isn't just that one individual that is good-natured. It might be that they are one in a thousand. It might be that they're one in a million. Uh, hence why uh, a lot of people also throw around the whole special snowflake um, term, which in many cases is true, but it... it, it if we really go deeply into it, it could be used for every single character because we all <laughs> we're all special snowflakes. No, but we all add something to uh, to a character to make them our own in yes. order to make them stand out from the rest. So, it is, so it's the wrong way to look at things. Although, again, it is annoying when you when you have ten to one of that that uncommon type of drow. So <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really matter at that point. Yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it's it's not that uh, the whole uh, the usage of uh, special snowflake might be wrong, but the the primary annoyance that lies be, uh, behind the usage of the term is still there, and it's still valid to to a certain degree. I mean, we can't we can't by any means force people to play characters they don't want to play, but there's always the whole uh, whole thing about taking the setting into consideration. Oh, it's don't as a, as a player of Elder Scrolls Online where there is slavery don't even get me started on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I've had many a good, you know, conversations about that. Ah, um, uh, so, yes. Uh, Sahanin Moonbow is the death goddess and moon goddess of moon elves 
Ah, yes, okay. Well then, um, I, oh, right, I think... Ilustrea? Yeah, know. Illustri. There, there we, we go. go. Yeah, that's the uh, the patron deity of the good drow elves. Yes. So uh, as soon as you uh, as you said that she was the goddess of moon elves, for some reason I recalled that it was Illustri. Uh, yeah. I don't. Um, I don't know how you remembered that. I can't. So. Um, uh, yeah, uh, later books of uh, Salvatore's uh, actually use her um, because suddenly. Uh, I don't even want to pronounce his name, Drizzt. Drizzt? Yes, Drizzt. It's not Drizzt. As long as you don't say Drizzt, you're all right. Uh, no, I will never say Drizzt because there's no I between the sets <laughs> and the T. Um, yeah, it's just Drizzt. Yeah. Uh, Drizzt, though, uh, then encounters some other, uh, some other female, actually, drows who live above ground and who worship Illustri. Um, and he even meets the high priesthood or a priestess of Illustri. Um Although I think that come fifth edition of history has actually been killed or murdered or whatever by Ray Ron because there can only be two throw <laughs> gods apparently, and there's no there's uh, there's no place uh, among the gods for a good drow deity. Right. Yeah. The good drow are kind of seen as not true. So. They are also seen as as weak and. Uh, a whole lot of other things, but uh, the pri- uh, the primary thing that the drow of uh, fantasy or uh, forgotten realms have to, in common with the drow of uh, Norse myth is that they live underground. The um, or I should say the the Svart elves. Yes, uh, they they uh, they live underground. They are. Uh, uh, I know that the uh, trow of um, I think they're from some of those islands of north of scotland yeah it's yeah the northern scottish islands islay and orkney and whatever else they're called they uh they are sort of similar to to the trolls of scandinavia i believe they they are nocturnal they live they don't necessarily live on the bridges but they probably would like that as well um they're so they're sort of ugly humanoids who share many uh, actually share many similarities with the elves of Norse uh, folk tales and folklore, um, because they weren't very pretty, were they? Well, the elves were in that they 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 were supposed to be enchanting female uh, figures with holes in their backs that would suck your soul out if you looked in them, um, or they would dance around in fairy rings and uh, and whatnot. And if you joined them in their dance, then you would be taken away and. All, all sorts of of, of uh, uh, stories to, uh, to uh, teach people not to give in to temptation. I, that was like the sole purpose of the elves, right? Like that was don't give in to their beauty, don't give in to their lust. Exactly. It, 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 it's like a, you're a man, you uh, and especially as a young man, as a teenager, you uh, you will feel overwhelming lust, but you have uh, you have to keep that under control. You uh, you. You sh- you shouldn't give into it because otherwise bad things might happen. But what they what they share in common with the elves is that the the trows and the elves are both very keen on music, and they live in earthen mounds or in like singular standing stones that uh, are out in the fields or in forests. Uh, that those were believed to be the homes of elves and also trow. Similar that I believe that. Um, 
that people of these islands were called drow by uh, people on the mainland at one point, which is another thing. Perhaps island dwellers were regarded as ugly and... Um, yeah, that, that, that could, that could <laughs> We're digging back into Scottish history here. Uh, <laughs> if there's any Scots listening, let us know. <laughs> oh yes, uh, I would. I would actually love to know because mm-hmm. uh, Scottish Gaelic uh, folklore is fantastic. In both, in uh, of course, because it's been sort of inspired by the Norsemen who came to England back in the day. So there, there's some things that are very similar there, but also just. Uh, both Scottish Gaelic and Irish Gaelic and Welsh Gaelic and whatnot. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, myth is very very fascinating. But yeah, it's it's truly it's truly interesting to actually delve into that. Mm. Um, and it's just crazy to me, like just we know, getting back to our three types here, the, like the drow, the halflings, and the dwarves. They're very distinct mm. entities. But if you just look at that one word drow, mm. and then it's associated with drow, dwarf, and halfling. Yeah, so it's just, it's crazy to think of how that one thing has such an effect on what we understand now. But mm. well, uh, in regards to the halflings, uh, in again in Norse myth, and uh, seeing as the halflings are inspired by the hobbits, which were created by uh, J.R. Tolkien, who used mostly Norse mythology to create his entire universe, very um, heavily. Yes, yeah, uh, we do have a lot of small folk in more so in our folk tales than actual myth that have, that could fit that because they are where the whole they are house spirits they 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 assist in keeping the house clean they assist in in keeping it uh, keeping your home safe they um they assist in um, uh, working the fields if you're a farmer uh, they're called nissa <laughs> once again it's a very simple lifestyle Yes, exactly. And the only thing that you need to pay them with is either beer, some form of, uh, and some something to eat, uh, particularly during uh, during uh, Tide, um which is in, in and around the same time as Christmas, um, during the latter uh, latter weeks of December, typically on the twenty fourth, not the twenty fifth, uh, is the uh, is the like culmination of uh, Yuletide although uh, originally it was the 21st with um, Winter Solstice. What they have in common with the uh, with the halflings other than that because you know fondness of eating and drinking and mm-hmm. doing very simple tasks <laughs> is the fact that they were capable of hiding themselves thus being very sneaky they uh, if you uh, if you uh, if you forgot to give them food or drink uh, or just forgot to pay your respects to them they would start by stealing stuff around the house, taking it to the attic for the most part, because that's where you... Uh, typically, they either lived in the attic or in the barns. They would also begin to uh, bore the livestock, either scaring it or killing it outright. Uh, there are stories of uh, of cows and whatnot just being uh, being pulled uh, in, in two halves uh, by the strength of these creatures, so they were also very strong. Um, well, that's not something you see very often. No, no. They in general, there's a lot of uh, they, uh, they they could uh, do a lot of things. There, uh, and I do believe that they also sort of inspired the uh, spied orcs. 
alongside with uh, because they are very similar to the uh, hobgoblins of, mm. um, of 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 English uh, stories. Yeah. Except except for the fact that they can actually you know turn themselves invisible. Hence Frodo with the one ring, just <laughs> saying. Just just um, say it. You just put yeah. it out there. You know. Uh, if, although that might have been taken from the story of the Nibelungen Ring, which we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. which also had the power to do that. So a lot of things it could inspire the, uh, inspire the hobbits there and the halflings because it's just uh, it, these creatures uh, have uh, have all sorts of sneaky uh, traits as well apart from the fact that you never really saw them we still have this image of them being uh, small uh, small small humanoids with uh, white beards actually they're quite quite similar to uh, to to the elves of santa claus except they also have beards and they carry uh, re- they always have red uh, caps on. They're not red caps. They're not murderous <laughs> bastards. Although they do, they can kill you. They can kill you. They will kill you if you if you if you, if you don't pay them. give them. Yes. Yeah. First, they'll kill uh, your cows and steal your jewelry, but yes. then they'll kill you. Yes. But they, but they don't live for the sake of murder. <laughs> no, they really just want you to pay them in beer and food. Yeah, and pay your respects to the and generally pay your respects to the to the land and the uh, you live on and the household you live in. Right. Well, that those are my three. Um, you know, dwarves, drow. I don't know how many deities you have. I have quite a selection. Um, I think I might leave some of them out, or at least just make it very short. Um, I feel I figured I'd start out with Ao, the over god, the great god of uh, the Forgotten Realms. I mentioned him in episode one as well. He doesn't have a portfolio because he is the great god. He is the uh, he is the the creator, the progenitor to the other gods of the uh, Forgotten Realms pantheon. That that one creature that just had thoughts before thoughts were invented. More or less, he he was one of the original creatures alongside some of the. Um, Chaotic Elementals, uh, the Titans that we also talked about okay. in the first episode. But he was the first god. And he doesn't need worshippers to continue existing or keep his powers like the other gods do. Therefore, he doesn't have a portfolio. He does have a church and mortals are free to worship him, but they it, there aren't really that uh, all that many clerics of Ao because he doesn't really grant you spells. Because, you know... He don't. He doesn't need you. So why should he do anything for exactly, you? Exactly. Yeah. It's just he, he's like, why are you even here? Yeah. The name could very well come from either a giant turtle in um, Chinese mythology, uh, who is um, who was used to keep up the uh, the sky by uh, by having its legs cut off by Niuwa, the creator of mankind in Chinese mythology. Uh, so his, his legs were cut off, and they were, were then placed as pillars in the four corners of the world in order to keep up the sky. Uh, not very, uh, yeah. It's 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 not a very fun uh, a way to uh, to be referenced, and I assume that it is just uh, if this was his reference within uh, the, the real world, then it's mostly related to the fact that he rules the heavens. And he is the one who's sort of keeping everything uh, as it is. I mean, he was the one who split uh, a bear Toril into a bear and Toril originally, so he could certainly keep the earth and sky apart as well, if that's what he wanted, or make them clash together. You would hope so. Yes. Um, 
there's all uh, there's also a um, uh, another story about the Ao living in a uh, some sort of Chinese sea. I'm not entirely certain if it's real or mythological. Uh, it's called Bohai Sea, um, which uh, where he swims around carrying the islands of the eight immortals of Chinese mythology upon his back. Um, again, making him sort of the foundation of this um the entire world again kind of like an overgod would be however there's also another po- possibility which is in maori or maori uh, the uh they, they are natives of uh, or uh, i think they are the aboriginals of um, new zealand as i recall or at least other parts of oceania um there's only kiwis there <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 yeah, yeah, that, that's that, 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 that's not the original people, though. Um, they're original birds, certainly. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, no, um, but in Maori uh, mythology, uh, the primal deity uh, of uh, of the whole thing is uh, Ao, whose name means daylight, and he is like uh, he represents light and the ordinary world simply because the ordinary world is covered in light whereas his um uh, his opposite is um is the darkness and the underworld which uh, unfortunately i haven't been able to find an actual name for that particular uh, manifestation yeah but it again it 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 gives some sort of uh, sort of meaning to his, uh, his name ao when uh, when he is the creator of the world as the people of the Forgotten Realms know it. So be, uh, being representative of the ordinary world, the prime material plane is also pretty much what he does. So that's very much a possibility. I think it fits very well with him, actually. Uh, you got yes. the the ruler of the heavens and basically the sun. Yeah. Now, there is a god called Amanoto, which is like the god of the sun and also the primary human deity, which, yeah, which for Forgotten Realms is a big thing because they don't actually have that many human-only deities. They have a lot of you know dwarf pantheon and halfling pantheon and elven pantheon, and then they just have a whole lot of gods that everyone worships, which are the ones that the humans also just happen to worship. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, yes, very much so. He is he is the light and life of of the common uh, world. Then we have uh, Loviatar, who is um, she's an evil goddess. Uh, she is um, she is the mistress of pain, which should pretty much speak for itself. Her domains include uh, pain and torture, agony, torment, suffering. Not a, uh, not at all a nice lady. Yeah, I I would I would imagine something along those lines. You said pain and torture. Yeah. Um, apparently, her 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 pain uh, her plane of existence or home plane uh, as of uh, the third edition is called the Barons of Doom and Despair. <laughs> well, that's um, a good name. Yes, yes, and she has titles such as the Maiden of Pain and the Willing Whip. The willing whip. Yes, uh, I'm sure that some um, adherents of uh, S M um, would love to worship a goddess like her. I say we might have found their new home. Yes, indeed. Um, in general, she's a lesser 
deity, which means she's not part of the main uh, ma- uh, main pantheon, the uh, the ruling council of deities that sort of decide what's ha- what's going to happen to the prime material plane and the people thereof. Uh, she does affect them, and she can have worshippers, and she does have her own clergy, but she's subservient to uh, other evil deities, and I believe she primarily works with uh, Bane and Baal, which are two of the primary evil um, deities, the ones that are considered major deities. Um her name derives from a Finnish de- uh, deity called Loviatar. There we go. She, the Loviatar Finnish myth is um, uh, the blind daughter of uh, the god of death and uh, the queen of the underworld of, again, Finnish myth. Uh, you can read about uh, Finnish myth, actually, in a very, very interesting piece of, uh, uh, of lit- uh, literature called the Kalevala, which has also been uh, turned into uh, a, a, like a, a massive cartoon bible of sorts by several uh, Finnish artists, and I can really recommend reading uh, both the both the cartoon and the proper versions um, because they're really really interesting. And in general, Finnish uh, mythology is underrepresented in uh, common fantasy. Uh, games and f- fiction these days because they have a lot of fun stuff uh, I mean uh, here's an excerpt from the Kalevala regarding Loviatar the blind daughter of Tuoni old and wicked witch Loviatar worst of all, uh, of all the deathland women ugliest of man's children source of all, uh, all the hosts of evils all the ills and plagues of Northland black in heart and soul and visage evil genius of Lapala made her couch along the wayside on the fields of sin and sorrow, turned her back upon the east wind to the source of stormy weather to the chilling winds of morning. That's Loviatar. She is uh, black in heart, soul and visage. I assume that means she's ugly. Um, both within and without. I say definitely within um, visage, I mean, would be without. Unless yeah. she was just pure darkness mm-hmm. um, she gave birth to what is referred to as the nine diseases which are her sons and also a tenth child who just happened to be a girl and hasn't really been to my knowledge hasn't been touched much upon as there are in such stories loose ends on occasion they yeah uh... <laughs> she, uh, she is more less representative of pain as in and more representative of just evil in general but as most human beings uh, look at pain and consider that to be an evil in and of itself because it's bad it doesn't feel good uh, it's very hard to sort of for me to think about what you would do as the pain goddess Mm. it would just be like it's it's a subcategory which is probably why she's not a, a major well, yes, certainly, certainly. I mean, we. I assume that her, the the two ways a worshiper can can uh, worship her, if they are evil aligned like her, they would probably inflict pain upon others. But if they are good aligned or lawfully aligned, they might just go, uh, go into uh, extreme bouts of self-flagellation. Yeah, um, which was a common way of showing. Um, 
showing virtue and general um, a general way of, of worship for a lot of gods back in the day. I mean, even Christianity had it at one point. So uh, I, I believe that was a way of uh, of cleansing one's sins, though, inflicting pain upon oneself. Uh, whereas others have been more so to show servitude or to show that you are subservient to your god by inflicting pain upon yourself. There isn't a whole lot else to the Finnish Leviathan other than the fact that she is the daughter of the god of death and the queen of the underworld, plus she gave birth to nine, disease, uh, nine diseases which are... Uh, colic, fever, ulcers, plague, consumption, gout, sterility, and cancer. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so uh, there legacy. we go. Um, <laughs> what uh, again, uh, this, most of these diseases are associated with pain. Yes. Massive very, very pain, actually. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, for those who don't know, consumption is the... Um, uh, 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 is the old world uh, 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 old, uh, old word for um, uh, tuberculosis? Yes, it, I, I, I wanted to say TB, but I don't. I didn't want uh, people to think that I was talking about total biscuit. <laughs> um, so no t- tuberculosis. Although I will tell you, in America, it's it's definitely TB. Okay, well that's good. In case you're wondering, who would want to impregnate this lady if she's so ugly, both within and without? Well, apparently it was the wind. The wind? Yes. Uh, The piece I uh, read aloud before, uh, the whole bit about turning her back upon the east wind, that was the, yeah, guy who managed to impregnate her. As far as I know, the east wind doesn't have a name. It's not a god in Finnish mythology. So it's just an entity in itself that managed to impregnate her. Um, so there's that. That's Leviathan for you. They they carry some. Uh, they they share some bits. Essentially, just you know, evil and pain. They kind of overlap uh, to some degree. Otherwise, it's just a name, really. Although, again, fathering diseases could also be considered pain i definitely i would i would i'd actually agree with you on that one and it's are, are the names spelled the same yeah completely it, the same. i think that's a pretty fair assumption then next we have ogma um ogma is the lord of knowledge bind of what is known and is a neutral god of uh, who is also um, involved with bards inspiration invention knowledge with, uh, within the forgotten realms universe in the real world, he was one of three brothers in uh, Celtic mythology. He was a champion of um, uh, a king Nuadu, I believe, or Nuada, depending on which source you're reading. Um, and he eventually gave up his position as champion to K- uh, King Nuada to Lu, who eventually would become like one of the great gods of the Celtic pantheon, uh, being, among other things, father of Cúchulain, uh, uh, which is uh, the dog of Cúchulain, uh, some of you might know. Uh, he was a magnificent spear fighter and whatnot. Lu also took over Nuada's throne after Nuada himself uh, died. 
Lou was the half brother to Ogma, but Ogma uh, uh, and Lou had a third brother called Dagda, and they were known as the three gods of skill. Lou being the uh, the, the god of skill in combat, uh, Dagda being the god of skill in regards to music, I believe. And I'm not—I haven't actually been able to find what exactly Ogma was supposed to be the god of skill, uh, skill in regards to, because he was overtaken by Lou in regards to combat. Uh, and all I see is how he's. Um, uh, it, He's the only uh, he's the only one who proves his athletic and martial prowess before the king, that at this being Ogma, and yet he's he's uh, still overshadowed by Lou. Uh, well, that's kind of unfair. Yes, you basically took the one thing you had and gave it to somebody else. <laughs> Pretty much, which um, yeah, he he's also referred to as the Sunface and might um, and has been. He's been associated with eloquence, actually, in reference to the kind of speeches that a champion would give to warriors uh, before combat in order to rouse the, their combat spirits to get them going. So I think that is where the whole um, whole association with bards and uh, knowledge comes from in the Forgotten Realms part of of his uh, yeah pre- presentation, because there's not much else to him. They might also have taken Dacta, who's Again, the god of skill with it, uh, with mu- uh, music, mm-hmm. and it kind of mixed the two together. In this case, because again, the Ogma of Forgotten Realms is the uh, is the patron of bards. So, although bards, of course, are not necessarily just musicians, they could also be performers of other kinds, uh, actors. He also uh, has a better name than Doctor. True, true. I, 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 I actually, I, I, I mis- misspoken. A Dacta is referred to as the Dacta, not just Dacta, but oh. the Dacta. Apparently, just to point out that he's the only one. Um, <laughs> That's, yeah. Is is he a different like race, or is he just? Um, no. Okay. Uh, in regards to the the three uh, bro- uh, brothers here, it's just. That Dacta is apparently, you know, the only one called Dacta. <laughs> All right. It, it, it don't it don't seem to find anything that um, that, that tells uh, that tells us about why uh, he's called the. He's. Uh, I can tell you that he was armed with a magic club and a cauldron. He gets weirder every time you like you try and find another fact about him. Yes, he... <laughs> uh, he, he he was in possession of a uh, of a har a harp, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this. Uh, although I have made some effort to figure out how to pronounce it correctly, Yuithni, um, uh, also known as the four angled music, which was a very very ornamented, uh, richly ornamented harp made of oak. Apparently, it it could be that the doctor is just a title um i can see here that it me uh, that it translates into the good god and that his name might be something else even his daughter is referred to as bridget daughter of the dacta daughter of the good god but again assume that dacta and ogma have sort of been pushed together to create ogma lord of knowledge and greater power of bards inspiration invention and knowledge then we have, uh, going back to 
Norse mythology, we have Tyr, because, yeah, the <laughs> the, uh, the the greater deity of law and war is Tyr, which are pretty much his two uh, actual, uh, yeah, domains in Norse mythology it's, as well. That's uh, just a straight it, copy. Pretty much, I mean, he was, he he was the the god of uh, god of law and the glory, essentially, or, or heroes, uh, you could say as well. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty much the last uh, god you would pray to bef- uh, before you went into uh, the battle you assumed to be your last in hopes of getting t- into Valhalla. It might be yeah. that the Valkyries were associated more with Freya and Odin than with Tyr, but uh, he was the one who would grant you. The, uh, enough glory to actually be able to enter Valhalla anyway. He's the one who told the Valkyries, that guy. Actually, I don't think so. I, th- no? I think the Valkyries were able to somehow sense the glory or whatever. Hmm. The, 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 there's something there. No, it might never have been explained. But he uh, he was the guy who bestowed glory upon upon warriors who deserved it. And then Law, uh, he... Uh, it, it should be said, the tier of... Uh, of, of Forgotten Realms is pretty much a carbon copy because the two of Forgotten Realms also had his left hand bitten off by a dog. Uh, in this case, it was a hellhound, I believe. Um, not, you know, the spawn of another god. <laughs> so, yeah, it, they they went down to even the finer details. Pretty much. Pretty much. He's... Um, he, he was at one point referred to as uh, as the Grimjaw or uh, I believe that might have been another name for him, because he has an order of uh, paladins called the Hammers of Grimjaws. His realm of, uh, uh, or his home uh, realm, is called uh, Isgard back in the second edition, although they did change it up to not sound like Asgard. Um, yeah, it was very edition. close. <laughs> yes. It was very close. <laughs> uh, in the third edition, he was uh, his home plane was called the House of the Tri- uh, Triad. Which is because he formed a triad of good aligned gods, um, where he was the greater power, and then he had two lesser powers in the shape of uh, Ilmater and Torm. Torm being the god of uh, good fighters, good warriors, and Ilmater being actually a, also sort of of, uh, of a god of pain, but he was uh, more in the vein of sacrifice of uh, of take uh, of taking others' pain on yourself. In order to help them, uh, Ilmeda is a is is a sort of complicated god to talk about. Think of Ilmeda in the same vein as uh, Jesus uh, being crucified for the sins of humanity. Ilmeda is sort of is sort of tries to do the same thing and convinces his, his, his clerics to do similar things, take the pain upon uh, the pain of others upon themselves. Otherwise, Tyr is pretty much carbon copy. Uh, god of justice, lawful, great, uh, lawful good. Um, uh, the he is um, uh, he, he teaches that uh, the belief in justice through benevolent force or at least armed vigilance. <laughs> <laughs> armed Pretty vigilance. Much. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, in the four, uh, in the later parts of the fourth edition, though, Tyr actually died uh, while protecting uh, the plane of Celestia, which is. Uh, the home of lawful good entities that would be the angels mm-hmm. uh, from a dem- uh, demonic invasion, and this was after he had imprisoned another god uh, for killing another god. <laughs> so uh, he he acted as the judge of the um, 
uh, of the court of the gods as well. He being being the god, uh, the the deity of law and all that. Then we have um, Bahamut, uh, the platinum dragon, the uh, good, uh, the king of all metallic dragons and good dragons, uh, and also a, a lesser deity because of it, because dragons. Um, Bahamut is originally a being from Arabic uh, mythology. Um, specifically, he's supposed to be a giant fish with a head resembling that of a hippopotamus or an elephant. And he supports the layers that further support the earth within Ara uh, Arabic mythology. So the only thing that they might have in common are the platinum scales, because giant fish, he might actually, you know, reflect light in a funny fashion. <laughs> There's not, not much dragon about him. Although it should be said the dragon has been used in in a lot of uh, various uh, mythologies to describe a monstrous beast that is not at all of this earth. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's uh, dragons are very often misrepresentative as being just one type of thing. So there is there is that. There's not much else to the representation of uh, of Bahamut within the cosmology of. Uh, I assume it's actually it's actually within um, Islam even that he's he's mentioned. Be, uh, because uh, I see him uh, referred to in a quote by uh, taken where it's something about Allah. Ah, yes, here we go. Um, Upon seeing Bahamut, Jesus uh, passes into unconsciousness. At this sight, Isa, which is the uh, Islamic name for Jesus, fell down a swoon, and when he came to, uh, to himself, Allah spake to him by uh, inspiration, saying, O Isa, hast thou seen the fish and comprehended its length and its breadth? He replied, By thy honour and glory, O Lord, I saw no fish, but there passed me by a great bull, whose length was three days' journey, and I know not what manner of thing this bull is. Quoth Allah, O Isa, that, uh, this thou, uh, that thou save, uh, sawest, and which has three days in passing by thee, was but the head of the fish, and know that every day I create forty fishes uh, like unto this. So that's Bahamut, as seen by Jesus. Alright, that, that would make, that's, uh, that's a very good spot to find uh, a relevant inspiration from. Yes, I mean, it's, um, uh, it, it, I mean, Bahamut is supposed to be massive. He is supposed to, uh, to be like uh, the same size as the plane itself, the prime material plane, and that is one of the largest planes in existence among the planescape of uh, uh, <laughs> the uh, of the Forgotten Realms universe. So that it, 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 he's 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 large. Not I, I don't think his head is just three days a day's journey though if he's that massive it's probably a bit a bit bigger but yeah yeah I, I, it takes me three days to walk from i don't know your forehead to your chin i i don't <laughs> want to see the rest of you no no and um of course here it says that it has a, a head of a bull there are various interpretations of what uh, what uh, he might uh, the head might have been it should be said that um on the back of Bahamut, there does stand a bull called Kuyata. And he uh, if he holds up a ruby mountain, which holds up, uh, which uh, on top of which there stands an angel. 
and the angel holds the seven Avs, or which are the seven realities of uh, of Arabic cosmology. So there we go. <laughs> There's just tie tie-ins everywhere there. Yep, I, I think it's a a good choose choice. Mm-hmm. And that, and Muhammad is very. He, I, I, I myself think that uh, that he uh, he's like uh, he's emblematic of Forgotten Realms uh, because he's also inspired. Uh, he he's been the uh, inspiration for uh, Final Fantasy's version of Muhammad, for example, who is the Dragon King or the Dragon God, depending on uh, which game it is, and has been in the uh, been in the Final Fantasy games since the first one, and a lot of people would probably recognize Bahamut just because of how big a franchise Final Fantasy is. It should also be said, mentioning the seven uh, seven planets being held up by that angel on the top of the Ruby Mountain, that um, the home plane of Bahamut is the seven mounting heavens of Celestia. Just saying. <laughs> the number seven. It's, uh, yeah. The number seven, number thirteen, very prevalent in a lot of Yes, um, 7, 9, and 13, I believe, are the three magical numbers. Yes, I'd like to say. Uh, unless you go to Asia, and then it's 4, 8, and... I can't remember the last one. 4 being the being being the most unlucky number, and also the, yeah, the number of death, because they're pronounced the same way in Chinese, among other things. And 8 being the luckiest number, because it represents infinity as well. Now... From Bahamut to his uh, exact opposite, the uh, dragon queen of uh, chromatic dragons, the uh, the primordial god uh, goddess of chaos, that is found within the colors and, of course, just evil dragon goddess all around, Tiamat, whose name is taken straight from uh, Mesopotamian mythology, um, which uh, again, Mesopotamian mythology is not just one mythology; it's like the collection of uh, Sumerian, Assyrian, Akkadian, and Babylonian mythologies. Um, in uh, her original mythology, Tiamat is the primordial goddess of the ocean, uh, who, where, uh, who was uh, the mother of uh, all the younger gods. She is the symbol of like creation in the form of a woman. Um, and is the original mother goddess of everything, uh, as opposed to a male creator god, actually, even though she, of course, had a, a mate in the form of Apsu. Um, still female creator goddess, because mother goddess. You need a mother earth. Yes. Um, eventually, she, um, she becomes through some unknown means, the uh, primordial goddess uh, of chaos, and it become uh, it becomes a sort of more monstrous form of herself, uh, where uh, where she's depicted uh, often as a sea serpent or a dragon. Therefore, Tiamat, the goddess of evil dragons, now, and they it, it definitely the Tiamat of Forgotten Realms has used the second version uh, uh, as more of a. Uh, an inspiration for her, although she is the mother of all dragons. That includes the metallic ones, even though she represents the evil chromatic ones. Um, at one point in time, Bahamut and Tiamat within the Forgotten Realms universe were husband and wife, or whatever the god variety of that would be. Uh, or at least they were mates, because dragons. 
Um, <laughs> and um, once they'd given birth to the first dragons, which we actually to- uh, touched a bit upon in the first episode, uh, you know, the uh, the possibility that dragons might have come to uh, a bear Toril, or at least Toril, in the form of meteors, their eggs, that is, uh, which the go- and the gods then came along with them. Um, Tiamat and Bahamut both started out as lesser gods, but have eventually become greater gods. Um, so that would also speak for them coming from the outside and then, like, working their way up the ranks. Uh, Tiamat is uh, often depicted as like uh, being this five-headed dragon with one head for each of the five chromatic, uh, common chromatic species, which would be red, green, blue, black, and white. Although that is not all of the chromatic species, they're just the most common ones. She is, um, she represents evil dragons, evil reptiles, conquest and greed, which is pretty much, yeah, dragons in a nutshell, the last two anyway. Exactly, uh, yeah. You, you never see a dragon that doesn't have greed. Pretty much. Especially not the chromatic dragons. There's not much else to her in this other than, I suppose, uh, recently, um, there was a uh, a longer story line within Forgotten Realms that was called um, uh, The Tyranny of Dragons which then led into Rise of Tiamat and then led into something else something Tiamat uh, so they have had a longer story arc with her recently where she uh, where the the cults of the chromatic dragons which were uh, was were mortal races worshipping chromatic dragons uh, like the the uh, most ancient of each breed of uh, chromatic dragon um, uh, did various things all across uh, Toril in order to not resurrect Tiamat but in order to raise her from the part of the abyss that she had been uh, captured in because at that point in time she was captured by another uh well, not deity. He was a demon prince, demon lord in uh, of the abyss, and her, her power was siphoned by him in order to uh, establish his own dominance of the uh, the, uh, the piece of the abyss that he ruled. They eventually managed to get her to rise from the abyss and get uh, get partially into the uh, prime material plane. Um, that, of course, was. Uh, uh, eventually prevented by heroes and I am sure we'll find books detailing how Dredst had something to do with it because he's involved in all of those things uh, uh, no, I don't know isn't is he still alive um, I I know for a fact that um, uh, that, uh, that at least uh, these events took place during the events of uh, uh, were added into uh, the Neverwinter Online the uh, MMO based in Neverwinter and all that, and I know that he's also part of the Neverwinter story. Okay, it, it would depend on the timeline then. Yes. Okay. Um. So there's sh- he 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 probably is involved in some fashion, if not directly. He um, is involved in, I think, more stories than any other character I've ever met. Yeah, pretty much. He's fun fact he, about Drist. Um, wasn't even supposed to be like an existing character. No. Just, just, uh, just have something different. <laughs> it's amazing that that and 
the amount of like love and adoration. Anyway, <laughs> sidetracked. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's eventually forced back, but she manages to uh, to avoid recapture within the abyss and take over the plane that she was previously uh, previously captured in. So she now rules a part of the abyss, sort of like Lolf that we spoke about earlier. Um, and from that, I will go over to the last god I think I will take for this, because we've already run uh, far over the amount of time I had thought we would spend on this. Um, <laughs> Orcus, who in Forgotten Realms is uh, the demon prince of undeath. And he is basically just a huge bloated mix between an orc and a uh, uh well whatever you think of a, of a demon uh, who's also who also happens to be running from the inside out because Ooh. he's dead and he is therefore the prince of undeath um his uh, uh, and he has actually played a large role in early um uh, in early settings for uh, I believe it was it was the second edition and perhaps also third edition not 3.5 but third, third edition um, where the, the uh, want of orcas was uh, something that everyone would, uh, wanted to get their hands on in order to get the powers of the demon prince he is named after orcas out of Roman mythology uh, Orcus was the original name of uh, Pluto or Hades um, uh, before uh, before he was sort of uh, that uh, that uh, that side of him was sort of uh, mixed together with uh, with a term called Dispater uh, into what became Pluto. Dispater is um, also a, another. Uh, another word for the god of the underworld but he was rather than uh, Orcus which was like the Roman name for Hades uh, this pater was a originally a god uh, of Chthonic um, uh, mythos uh, spe- uh, specifically was the god of riches and fertile land um, eventually he uh, was like, uh, like mixed together with uh, with Orcus and it just became Pluto Although Pluto has also been, I could also be argued to have been his own thing before then. <clears throat> so, Orcus, Roman god of the underworld. There's still um, there's still remnants of his um, what could you say worship uh, found around the, uh, around the place. Uh, there's, there's an area called the Gardens of Bomarso where you can find the so-called Orcus Mouth, which is supposed to represent an entryway into the underworld, which is this giant uh, a giant circular slab of stone where there's carved this face in with a huge gaping mouth that you can... I think you can crouch into. I don't think you can walk straight into it. Uh, <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> yeah. I hope somebody um, would have uh, sealed that by now. <laughs> Um, there, the, there's also some speculation that there might have been a temple to Orcus in the on the Palatine Hill in Rome, at one point, um, because there are, you know, as people who know the uh, the uh, layout of Rome, and um, uh, specifically the Palatine Hill, there are a lot of uh, of ruins on the hill that have sort of been built upon uh, and build upon and then uh, burnt down again because Rome has burnt down God knows how many times Uh, it's been I don't know that city has been raided and pillaged 
so many times throughout history. Uh, that's what you get for being a cultural uh, cultural centrum uh, for just about well every age since yeah the Holy, uh, Holy Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, really, there's a there's a lot here. Uh, he he has some history, but he's he he's mostly forgotten by now. I mean, they, most people would not think of Orcus when they were asked who the Roman uh, uh, Roman equivalent of Hades would be. They they would go straight to Pluto because that was what the the X planet was named. Yep. Um, funnily enough, uh, this painter also uh, offers his name to part of the underworld as depicted by Dante Alighieri in the Divine Comedy, because the uh, the main city of of uh, of hell. Is called this in his story. So hmm. there we go. Uh, which I suppose is pretty spot on, considering that this painter was another god of the underworld, and also again god of riches and god of underground mineral rel- wealth <laughs> <laughs> and fertile land. So yeah, uh, a lot of underground stuff uh, connected to him. But that was pretty much. It, I mean, the, the Orcus, Prince of Hell, related to the uh, the uh, god of the underworld, um, undead, also sort of related to god of the underworld, not in quite the same fashion. There are many more deities that we could talk about, uh, such as the Red Knight or Asmodeus or uh, Hajama or. Oh, I, I, who knows? Uh, I might even add some <laughs> extra names to the description of this episode, uh, just so that you can look them up if you w- uh, wish to do that, because th- uh, that might be fun. Um, I know I find I find it fun anyway. Well, that's one of those things you can also do. Just a, another full episode on just those, because there, there's so much lore regarding deities. Yes, uh, eventually we will do another episode on. Uh, <laughs> on Forgotten Realms because it's it's, it's so massive and we'll probably also go in, get into some other setting of D&D because again it's so freaking massive wait there's what how many editions now no oh, no they, uh, Dungeons and Dragons there are 5th edition is the most current okay. one but they like from 3.0 and forward uh, Dungeons and Dragons has just been like the general rule set for, uh, for every setting and then you uh, you could pretty much choose your setting based on specialized rule books for the settings uh, although uh, the main rule books since 3.0 as well has have also assumed that if you haven't chosen a specific setting you are playing Greyhawk <laughs> so there's that but uh, yeah uh, fin- finishing off there's uh, there's a ton of deities to uh, look at uh, Although, admittedly, there are a lot more of them than one might just it might think that it don't have any any obvious direct inspiration from the real world. A lot of them do have some, uh, some things where you just uh, think, well, this sounds like something I've heard of before, and then you go and look, but there's n- it's it, it's there's no real connection. It just seems like there is. Uh, I looked at a goddess called Elstath, um, who is the goddess of druids and natural harmony and therefore also the goddess of uh, pacifism and uh, I believe rivers, calm waters stuff like that 
uh, and I figured, well, that sounds a lot like. Um, oh, I can't remember who I thought of at the moment, but uh, now, but it, it, I, I went and looked, and it turned it turned out that they really didn't have a lot in common, uh, or as much in common as I figured at first. So, uh, so no, no, we'll 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 keep that out. Um, then we have stuff like tier, which is just carbon copy. The, you know, you get uh, you, you get tier, you get tier, you get law and law. Admittedly, the tier of uh, of the for- uh, Forgotten Realms is slightly more focused on the war and combat aspects of his his role, but he also has Torm as a part of his little triad with Ilmeda, uh as well, where Torm is more like he's the god of warriors and fighters, so he's he's more over into that full time whereas Tia can then focus on the law aspect of his portfolio if anything it gives you a, a lot of respect towards the writers mm, yes they, they've certainly they've certainly researched their stuff before writing this and we and we have to remember that gods like Tyr and um, Bahamut and Tiamat and Ao have been in the setting since the very first edition as some of the others I've mentioned have come later on, I believe Orcus was added in the second edition, or Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, as that were called. But again, also with the halflings, the dwarves, and the drow—you mean they—they they have tons of inspiration. Again, a lot of it, as we figured out from the three, that is taken from Norse mythology. Yeah, right? those three are very frighteningly almost all Norse. <laughs> I don't know the, if I just didn't dig hard enough. Or if that was just an easy one to go off of, so. Well, then no. The problem is that a lot of the races are taken straight from Tolkien's uh, universe, and um, Tolkien was primarily inspired not not solely inspired, but primarily inspired by Norse mythology. Uh, in uh, for his uh, both for his linguistics uh, bit, I mean, he, he he created the universe in order to be able to create new languages as an experiment. For goodness sake, yeah, which is so, crazy to think about that. Yes, on the other hand, it, I, I can sort of see why he would do it. Um, I mean, the, the best best way to begin inventing a language is to invent a culture that would actually use the language, because part of the creation of language is the culture surrounding it. Um, Very true. Yeah, the, the linguistics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let me, let's get sidetracked again, why don't <laughs> Yes. Uh, the point is, the inspirations are, are found in many places, some more obvious than others, but, uh, but they, uh, and they are still there. That you, you will find them if you look. Also, Bon High Sea, real place. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, that's good. I really need to get more into the Chinese stuff. I mean, I, 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 yeah. I, 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 I know a few phrases. I, I know my basics of the mythology, but I haven't been able to get into the, the nitty-gritty details of it yet. Ah, uh, and I also know how to pronounce the names correctly, which is more than a lot of other people can say. So, ha! <laughs> I'm still stuck on uh Svartalfheim, so Svartalfheim. Yeah, I'll never, uh, I'll never get it. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, uh, uh, a quick, quick thing. Unless it's Swedish, uh, Swedish is is sort of sing songy. They, yes, they are a bit more, it, uh, they they are a bit more fluid in the way they pronounce things. 
Uh, old Danish was also a bit more sing-songy than modern Danish is. I can't, okay. uh, I can't say that modern Danish is in any way like the, uh, like the original Nordic. But in general, we keep our our vowels short. Like uh, it's 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 a very sh- it's very rare that you find a protracted vowel uh, or long vowels. Uh, it, it's uh, it's a question of keeping uh, keeping them short. So Svadalvar. Uh, and then you have that slight roll of the tongue on the R at, at the end, which is not really necessary. It's just that's for the pros, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, it, it's something that comes naturally uh, to, to those of us who sp- who speak the languages. As I say, just, I took I took German in high school. That's all. So, well, it 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 should be it should work sort of along the lines. I mean. Uh, you also have uh, that that word spelled about four different ways, so I don't know which version to use. Which word? Uh, Spart that one. Svartalva. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's Sparta. I don't know. It's there's an F and then Achheim. So I'm out. Oh <laughs> well, that that's Svartalfheim. That's the home of of uh, that is the realm the the city of Svadalva. Okay. Uh Heim. There's also Alfheim, which is the home of the, uh, home of the Light Elves. Uh Gos Alpha. Uh th- th- there's a lot of thing uh, things there. Uh yes. Uh if you would like an episode <laughs> on Norse mythology, I can probably <laughs> stick to, uh, make something together there as well. <laughs> I've also considered and this is for all of you out there who uh, who might be uh, who might be willing to give us some feedback in regards to future content. I've considered uh, doing Scandinavian folk tales at some point because we have a lot of stuff that isn't covered in in modern fantasy and a lot of stuff we also share with other uh, cultures like um like the woman in white. The, the common uh, ghost of a wronged woman in life who then haunts uh, a place uh, either functioning as a herald of death in the family or as a herald of death in general to the one she shows herself to. Um, although in our case she's a woman in grey. Same thing, really. Um, so even we, the Russians have that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a very, it's a very common thing throughout various things. Then we have a sort of similar thing uh, called a hellhest which is directly translated a hell horse which is usually a type of ho- uh, horse that is uh, missing the legs which have then been replaced by fire um, sometimes also missing the head also replaced by fire in the spectral shape of an ordinary horse's legs and head of course which then roams graveyards and shows itself to uh, to families who uh, who will soon experience another death in the family as well. Um, plenty of stuff like that. Good times. <laughs> we can shed some light in the finish. <laughs> we can also go. Yeah, we can also do an episode on the Kalevala. That's also an, a possibility. We don't. We don't need to just focus on the law of, uh, and implications thereof. Of uh, fantasy settings. Speaking of law implications, though, uh, final thing, because we need to uh, bring up some implications. The death of Tyr in the th- uh, fourth edition means that he has been replaced as the greater, uh, the greater uh, god of uh, 
good by Torm, one of the, the part of his triad. But Ilmater has actually uh, disappeared um, because it turned out that he was just another aspect of a Monator, the sun god I mentioned earlier. Um, so he sort of disappeared slash transformed into a Monator, which means that whole triad of good gods is now, has now dissolved. And while a Monator and Torm do work together, they the, the, uh, a Monator is sun god and god of peace which doesn't really mesh with the god of law justice and war so they they they, they kind of clash there so what might this mean for the uh, the uh, the greater deities of good in the universe uh, in within the uh universe not to mention what does it mean that the dwarves of myth they would trade for sex to the gods of Forgotten Realms, <laughs> or the dwarves of Forgotten Realms, rather. You can think about that. And it might explain why their women have beards. It could very well be, actually. <laughs> uh, anyway, I don't think we have anything more, do we? I, I think I'm good. I yes. mean, I've, I've learned. I've uh, if not sounded too much a fool. No, 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 no. It's hard to sound a fool in, in these matters, actually, because there's always some speculation that you can come up with. Oh yeah, there's. It's that's the beauty of any lore is you can interpret it in so many different ways. So exactly. Uh, well, I think that's all from us. So um, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll be back eventually with another episode on stuff. And Pooch <laughs> should hopefully be back by then. If nothing else, I'm sure that I can convince uh, Nick here to assist me once uh, once more. Most likely, um, yeah. I'll, yes. I'll break out the mic and stop editing things for you. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, oh, yes, final note, final note, and then we'll end probably. Uh, I, we will have an episode out on Pokemon lore, believe it or not, there's such a thing. Uh, it was meant to come out in, uh, in rega- uh, around the time of the 20th anniversary, which was about two weeks ago from the time of this recording. But uh, stuff happened that prevented us from getting things done, uh, such as life on occasion. Such as life. But it, w- uh, it will happen. And then we'll, we still have the episode on Warhammer that me and Pooch promised you back in the day. Uh, there's that to look forward to. But um, for now, uh, goodbye. Take care.